everybody. I hope you've had a good week. It's uh, been a wonderful week for me to be at annual conference, uh, renewing relationships with folks I only get to see once a year because we're serving in different parts of the state. Uh, and just been highly anticipating having another opportunity to be with you, this magnificent faith community known as Crossroads United Methodist Church. We've been in this series about life is short. And if life is short, it deserves our attention so that we maximize the time we have, especially as we are disciples of Christ, embodying the values and principles that God provides for us through scriptures that we might live a life of abundancy as Christ intends as a witness, not only for ourselves, but for this world. So today we're coming to the final installment, at least for this particular aspect of of the series. This will be my last time with you for now. And I want to talk with you about an arena that tends to give a lot of heartburn to families. And this arena is about financial pressure that people feel. Now, the truth is we all have personalities. Some of us are extroverts. Some of us are introverts. Uh, Some of us are conflict avoiders and others of us eat conflict for breakfast like it's cereal or something. We have a financial personality as well. And the way I get at this when I'm talking with premarital couples is to say, I want you to imagine a linear scale. On one end, I put someone who could pinch a penny until it screams. How many of you know somebody like that? Okay. On the other end of the spectrum, I say, I want you to imagine somebody here who can't hold on to a dollar bill if you glue it to their fingers. How many of you know a person like that? How many of you are seated next to one of those two people? Yeah, yeah. We all have our financial personalities. And both of those extremes are about inappropriate space, inappropriate margins financially. Now, a, a definition of margin that I've heard is it, it is the space between our current load and our limits. Another way that I think about it is that a margin is that space where the Holy Spirit has a chance to operate. It's a garden space of our character, of our soul where the Holy Spirit has in this space the opportunity to grow our character, to refine it, to deepen it, to hone it, to shape it. And as that space is tighter and tighter and shrunk, there is less and less room for the Holy Spirit to operate. And it short circuits what God wants to do in our lives. Now I'm gonna ask you a very serious question. How many of you have ever gone through a season of intense financial pressure. May not be currently, but how many of you have ever gone through a season of intense financial pressure? Just raise your hand. Yeah, I certainly have, and, and more than once. It is kind of the way of this human pilgrimage. Sometimes we learn by trial and error. Sometimes it's, it was out of our hands. There were circumstances that were out of our control. Sometimes we made decisions that seemed pretty good at the time, but didn't turn out all that great. In about 10 days, we're going to be celebrating July 4th, Independence Day. 
Declaration of Independence. And in that declaration, there is a line that we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Happiness. The pursuit of happiness. Now, there's lots of ways to define happiness. Some people would define it as contentment. Contentment. By the way, we had Father's Day last week, and remember? And uh, as, as I was thinking about that, I remember a story about uh, contentment. It said, who is more contented, the person with $10 million or the parent with 10 children? And the answer is the parent with 10 children because they don't want any more. The truth is, when it comes to the financial arena, there is this hunger, there's this kind of quest for more. Now, today, I'm not going to be talking about people who are severely under-resourced, people who have trouble putting food on the table for their family. The vast majority of us in this room are not severely under-resourced. Perhaps we are under-managed, perhaps our decisions have not been totally appropriate, but we are not severely under-resourced. So how is it we find a place of contentment in this financial realm? Because I believe God does want us to experience a life without some of the financial pressures I see so many families enduring today. They did a survey uh, some years ago and uh, it, one of the questions was, what would it take to make you money, uh, to make you happy. What is the one thing that you need more of to help you be happy? And the number one answer was money. So then they got a little more specific and they said, how much more? And the answer was, on average, 20% more. That was the answer people gave if they made $50,000 a year, $100,000 a year, $500,000 a year. It was always in the range of about 20% more. You see, it's really about our perspective of value that causes us to, to shrink those financial margins and put us under pressure. I, I have over here a couple of boxes. Uh, this box represents my life. It's, it's my box. Uh, you know, it's up to me what I put in that box. And so I, I put a few things that kind of symbolize some, some things that are important to me. Uh, one of the things that's very important to me is, uh, is, is my family. This is a picture of my wife and me, and it represents my, my family, my children, my grandchildren, it, the relationships that are important to me. Uh, this represents my, my electronics. Now, I have severe electronic ineptitude. Uh, but this represents, you know, the TVs and all those electronic things in my life. Uh, this is a racquetball racket. That's important to me. I love beating people half my age. It's only a sin if you take pleasure in it, so I sin a lot. <laughs> we have a garden. A garden. Now, what is this? It's a zucchini. Guess what we have more of than anything else in our garden? Zucchini, yeah. The garden's important to me, zucchini, not so much. Uh, the calculator represents my financial life. 
Our other one just broke, so I bought this one yesterday. Uh, Golf, I'm terrible at it, but I enjoy it primarily because of the relationships. You see, I'm really not a good enough golfer to enjoy the game, but I enjoy the people that I'm with when I'm out there. So this represents the things that are important to me. And I can be, hey, I can be pretty happy with what's in my box. I, I like that. I'm, I'm pretty contented until, until, you know, I start paying a lot of attention to the mega marketers and what's on television and newsprint and on the internet that says, no, you're not. You're not really happy. You're not really content. But we have the answer for you. Because your happiness, your contentment is just one purchase away. You buy our product, whatever it is, and that one purchase will fill your box with what you need to be content. The other thing that happens to us is that while we may be content with what's in here, and this is a human tendency, we tend to look at other people's boxes, other people's lives. Isn't it interesting? We, we tend to only look at people who have a bigger box than we do. We don't look at the people who got the smaller box. We just look at the people who got the bigger box. And we start looking, oh man, that TV covers the entire wall. He's got a 54-inch zero-turn mower. Oh, it's got a cooler on the side. That is incredible. His box has got a whole lot more bells and whistles than my box does. And it stirs within me this sense of discontent. Friends, that is a story as old as the oldest story in the Bible. Adam and Eve there in that garden have been given everything they need, everything they need to supply a good life. They have the animals, they have the plants, they have the, the, the rivers, they, they have all that they need. Until one day, the tempter comes and says to Eve, in effect, are you happy? She says, oh yeah, no, no you're not, no you're not. Uh, but I have the answer for you. For you to be really happy. You see, you're happy with what you got because you don't know what you're missing. That's called fear of missing out, FOMO, or fear of falling behind. The only reason you're content is because you don't know what you're missing out on. I can tell you what you're missing out on. It's that, it's that tree right over there. See that good-looking fruit? See how it shines in the sunlight? Oh, we're not supposed to eat of that fruit. No, 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 no. We got all this other good stuff. And he says, see, that's the reason. Because God knows if you eat of that fruit, you'll be more like God. You'll have more than you need. You'll have all that you want. Oh, my. And because Eve and Adam, according to the story, didn't make a good decision, it turned out in a very destructive way for not only them, but for all of humanity. Now we have a passage of scripture this morning from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. I'm going to ask that it be put up there. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires 
that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Another translation talks about plunges them into pain. Now, I want you to notice it does not say that money is the root of all evil. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil. A disproportionate want for more, for more, for more. In the story of the lost sheep, Jesus doesn't say anything about the character of the lost sheep. Doesn't say it was a bad sheep. It does say that the sheep got lost. And you know what a sheep's tendency is? A sheep's tendency is to keep the head down and to just nibble. Just to nibble. And the nibbling follows whatever tastes good. Whatever tastes good. And so that sheep may be unintentionally. Without a thought, I'm going to get up today and I'm going to get lost. I'm going to cause a lot of havoc and heartache for a whole bunch of other people. No, the sheep's just out there keeping the head down, not paying attention to what it's doing. Just nibbling, nibbling, nibbling. Nibbling its way to what it thinks is a greener pasture. And it ends up in a dire predicament because it just wasn't paying attention. In this passage of Scripture, it says people can wander away from faith and they pierce themselves with many pains. The literal translation of that, pierced with much pain, is like being stuck with a sticker bush. Now, in that region, they've got some world-class sticker bushes. When you think about the crown of thorns that you see during the season of Lent that was put on the head of Jesus, those thorns can be like two inches thick. And the image of this is like somebody standing in front of a sticker bush and then just thrusting their arms and hands in that bush and it is devastating it wounds and it pierces and the writer of Timothy says this is so destructive last week we talked about Ephesians 5.15 walk not as unwise but as wise making the most of the time Proverbs 21.20 says this, In the house of the wise, it doesn't say rich, In the house of the wise, there are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish person devours all that they have. A foolish person has no margin. A wise person has margin. doesn't say rich. It says wise. Now, there are ways to create a a financial space that takes the pressure off us as families. And, And we really need to pay attention to this. The first way we do it is to look at what's in this box a little differently. Instead of looking at it as my stuff, this is my stuff. What would happen if we began to look at it more as God's gifts? These are God's gifts to me. And if I look upon them as God's gift, it causes me to have a fundamental shift. If these are God's gifts to me, how may I enjoy them as a gift? And under whose authority then will I use them? You see, the shift is my stuff, my authority, versus God's gift and living my life and using stuff as God's gift under God's authority. And if God has authority, it makes sense then 
that I will yield myself to that higher power, trusting in the principles of God to lead me to an appropriate space, margin in my financial life, to bless me, to bless my family, and all those that God may bring across my path. So once I get that lordship question kind of in the right place, declaring God to be my standard of measure then there are three ways that I can create some financial margin. The first is the preferred option, and that is make more money. Yeah, even John Wesley said, make all you can. But he said, save all you can, give all you can. We like that, make all you can. Now, certainly there are seasons in life where there are stresses, the unexpected comes, and maybe it's appropriate for that to really be a motivating force. Maybe you're working extra hours, taking extra shifts, maybe getting a second job uh, for a period of time. Friends, sometimes that is absolutely necessary. But you've got to know there is a transaction cost with that. Because when we move forward with that, and that becomes our goal, it does take away our time. It takes away our relational energy. It causes additional stress sometimes on our families and others God's given us to love. So while in the short term it may be a good thing and the long term gain, the the long term plan may be that I'm going to position myself to, to where I am going to increase my value to my workplace or consider other options. But if I am working so much to earn more, I am really draining, draining my relational energy toward others. And that can have a dire consequence for the future. Friends, this is a very important step. And, and, and I want you to understand, I am cognizant that sometimes we get ourselves upside down. Our financial world gets upside down, and and we don't see how to dig ourselves out of that. I want to commend to you things like uh, Financial Peace University with Dave Ramsey, and there are others out there that can give a strong biblical base, and, and over a period of time that we don't have this morning, to help you start putting things in place that will give you a pathway out of this financial stress. The second thing we can do to create margin is to save more. And some of us say, save more? Man, I'm not saving anything right now. How am I going to save more? Well, I want you to think about something. I want you you to imagine that your employer comes to you and says, you know, ooh, man, we are having a recession. Now, we're not going to lay anybody off. But we're having a recession, and guys, we're going to have to have everybody, everybody, from the, from the CEO down to the worker on the line, everybody's got to take a 10% pay cut. Friends, if there were no other jobs out there, you would find a way. You would find a way to do that. I am asking you to find a way to save appropriately. Save appropriately. Please. I have nothing to gain by this. Please make it your goal to save at least 10%. At least 10%. And increase that over the years. Because you see, the unexpected always comes. I did a little study uh, with with the help of some uh, surveys that were taken and and just historical data. In, In our history as a country... 
financial recessions have occurred approximately every five years. Sometimes they have been very small, sometimes they have been very deep, but they come on average about every five years. So if we know that, if we know that as responsible people, as responsible disciples of Christ, then it makes sense for us to have a reserve sitting over here so that when the unexpected comes through recession, through unexpected expenses, like you need a new set of tires, you ran over a road hazard and blew three of them out, my goodness, you don't have to put it on a credit card, you have the reserves and you take the financial pressure off. Now, there's a flip side to this. There are those who are so frugal, so frugal, that that penny is screaming all the time. And there is such a thing as hoarding, hoarding. Do you see that television program they used to have about hoarders? You couldn't even get in their house because they just, they had everything. Well, over, over in Israel, there are two primary bodies of water. One is the Sea of Galilee, and the Sea of Galilee just teems with life. Oh, man, it's got multitudes of fish in it. It's just beautiful. The inflow comes, and then there's an outflow. It comes in, the water comes in, refreshes, renews, and then continues to flow through, flows down that river into this very low place where the Dead Sea is located. And the Dead Sea has an inlet, but no outlet. So whatever comes in stays right there. It's a high concentration of mineral content, of salt content. It is lifeless. It is lifeless. And this has to do with the flow-through principle. God wants to bring resources into our lives to bless us, to renew us, to fulfill us. But then God wants us to act not so much as a sponge, but as a funnel, that a portion of that may flow through us to become refreshment toward other people, as God may direct. So friends, we can earn more, we can save more, and it brings us to the absolute least popular option. And that is, we can spend less. I did not hear an amen. <laughs> Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to do that. We think we can't do that, but we can. Do you know that credit card levels are now at the same level as they were just prior to the great recession that we had? I was hoping we had learned. It is that thing of living beyond our means. We are called, we are called to live within our means. There was an ancient philosopher, this is a guy from a long time ago, he was a Roman poet by the name of Perseus. And he had a, wonder, a wonderful uh, collection of sayings. Here's one of them. Live within your harvest. Live within your harvest. Now, from my perspective, our harvest is what remains after we have we paid our tithes. I know some people don't want to hear that, but it's a biblical principle. We have paid our tithes. We have been a responsible citizen. We have paid our taxes. The, the harvest is what remains after we have done that. And we are called to be good stewards to live within our harvest. Now, when you 
when you've come to the place where you're doing that and it may take several months it may even take a couple of years because we've gotten so topsy-turvy with this you will find yourself being able to breathe a little easier no you will not have everything in this box you may not have everything in this box but you will have all you need again I'm not talking about severely under-resourced people who cannot put food on their table the vast majority of us in this room would not fit that category and I'm lobbying for us to be wise to make the most of the time so we do not get pinched by the pennies so here's the question what is it you really need to have a meaningful life what is it beyond adequate food a safe secure stable place to live adequate clothing what do you need beyond those basics to have a meaningful life and how does that impact your financial world life is short don't get pinched by the pennies friends it's an interesting thing that takes place in the space between the ending of the Sabbath in the Jewish tradition and the beginning of the work week there is a little ceremony called Havdalah it means separation separation from the Sabbath and the beginning of the work day it's a transitional time and what they do during Havdalah is they take a cup and we're going to put it up on the screen and they begin to fill the cup as a symbol the symbol of filling the cup is the intention of the family to earn enough that coming week to flow into this family and sustain them to meet their needs but the hope is also that there will be enough earned not only to support the family and sustain the family but enough to create an overflow margin an overflow that can be used to bless others friends in my perspective real life the life Jesus said he came to give the abundant life is found in the overflow now Dave Ramsey would say I want you to look at that cup and recognize it's not a thimble and it's not a bucket it's a cup you have to decide its size you are the one responsible and God is for you not against you and has given these principles that your life might be blessed life is short and as we come to communion this day that symbol is going to continue to be up there to overflowing as the symbol of God's intention to bless you so richly there is always an overflow Psalm 23 my cup runneth over and so may it be for you would you pray with me oh God as we come to this time of communion we're reminded of your overflowing goodness your overflowing grace your overflowing forgiveness and generosity through the gift of your son Jesus Christ and as we come this day to partake of what we call the Lord's Supper may it be a reminder of just how great your love is for us 
And how deep is your desire that that love you have for us may flow to us and then fill us to the point of flowing through us into a hurting and broken world in such desperate need of renewal and refreshment and abundance of grace. So on this day as we come, make this be body and blood for us that we may be for the world. Holy Communion symbols of your grace and hope. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Now, friends, I invite the servers who have agreed ahead of time to come and take their stations. And once they're in their place, if you will allow the ushers to direct you to come and receive these gracious gifts. We also have gluten-free uh, bread at each of the stations if you will let your servers know. So come now with your hearts ready to receive and be blessed to overflowing. Amen.